once you change your philosophy, you change your thought pattern. Once you change your thought pattern, you change your, your attitude. Once you change your attitude, it changes your behavior pattern. And then you go on into some action. Hey, what's up? Uh, you're here with another episode of Everyone Sucks Here. I'm your host, Brian. And I'm your other host, Jerome. And uh, we have a real lazy episode, sort of, for you today. Jerome's rolling his eyes, he's doubting it, because I want to talk about some philosophy stuff. But really just on a kind of like fun, you know, like we're just chilling. A little coffee talk, smoking some weed, getting high, thinking about the world kind of way. Uh... So hopefully we'll be able to do that. You know, you it's know, funny. Off. It's funny. Like if I'm coming off low energy or anything like that now, I mean, I always get nervous before these particular podcasts. The other one that I record, I do all the prep work for. Um, and even though I'm sort of present for the prep work of this podcast, it's still like a little bit nerve wracking all the time. I'm like, am I even going to have anything interesting to say or to respond? Cause last night we sat around talking for like, you know, two, three hours mm. And the shit was just flowing, and I'm like standing up and like, yeah, and fuck this and all that stuff. And then today I'm like, yeah, man, I don't know. I guess let's do the podcast. Yeah. Seven o'clock, sure, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> well, we were really high last night, and we were both really like, hey, are you going to remember this? And I was like, yeah. And then here we are. <laughs> I guess we'll see. <laughs> I guess we'll see. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, what's going on? Uh, what's going on in the world today? What's going on in your personal world, first, Jerome? How's, how's everything hanging with you? Uh, I just. Tested positive for gonorrhea, so that's a thing <laughs> that I promptly went and took care of. Uh, so that's that did the responsible thing. I didn't know if you were going to share that or not. I promise I wasn't trying I to mean, tee that no, up for you. But I mean, if you ask me, that's what's on my mind. That's what's what's going on. You know, hot boy summer con- <laughs> concluded with a bang. <laughs> a literal, a literal clap. Yeah. Oh, bro. Oh no. Uh, so I guess you were probably too distracted with that to like watch the debates or anything like that. I mean, even if I didn't, the debates, I, I knew that I was just going to be sitting around waiting for people to tell me what happened. And then, uh, I don't know, man, change, Trump has changed things to just like, what's the point of even <laughs> like trying to observe what's going on. Did he say something outrageous? Oh, yeah. Oh, I didn't watch either because yeah. I feel the exact same way that you do. There yeah. was literally no point in watching the debate. And from everything that I've gathered in the post-debate coverage of it, uh, those that that suspicion was justified. Yeah. But like I've seen the um, the Simpsons meme. The old man yells at Cloud. Hmm. Grandpa Simpson just in the newspaper. They're like it's like that just like inverted on each other just two old men just mm. yelling back and forth about nonsense shit right uh everyone freaked out about you know some like comment he made about the proud boys uh yeah. standing back and standing by proud, proud boys, boys stand back and stand by somebody's got to do something about antifa and the left people were really upset about that and like justifiably so like that's kind of a freaky thing if you you know particularly construe it that way which i mean i don't know any other way that you could construe it but mm. That's the kind of like Trumpian age of politics that we're in right now is that like Trump says something like truly outrageous. And then for the next like week in the news cycle, it's just arguing back and forth between like, what did he really mean? Yeah. You know, like so now his camp is saying, like, oh, that's not what he meant. He was telling them to just like get out of the way of the police and like let them do their job and like that he completely disavows them. And it's like, it's crazy not- how when he wants to be clear about something, he'll be clear about it. And let me be clear, we we are the best at this, or whatever. But certain times, he's just like, I don't know. There's people on both sides. Yeah, yeah. You know? He's really good at murking up the waters and like just being just obtuse enough that no one can really pin down what he said. And it's really great, kind of surreal political theater. Well, uh, you know what? Trump is also an airbender, so in his own fucked up way, he knows how to like, you know, sort of... He doesn't of, know how to dodge that issue. That's right, just like coming, airbend around the yeah, issues. Coming and then, at you with the big Gemini uh-huh, energy. Big toxic Gemini uh, energy. Yeah, that <laughs> sucks. You have to check the president's chart before you elect him in the office, Jesus like always. Christ. Yeah, that's probably the case. But, I mean, 
let's also little happy news is that uh, big old Trumpito caught the COVID. Oh, Did you yeah. hear that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to Walter Reed Hospital. I think I'm doing very well. So, like, how is his how is his base spinning it now? Are they don't know? Do they believe that COVID exists now? Don't like, know. I was wondering that this morning. Like, what the fuck is QAnon gonna think? <laughs> Like, all of his base, how they're going to react. Like, all the people who have been saying this isn't real. Like, it's going to cause a lot of mental gymnastics, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, even from the Trump camp to acknowledge it. Like, this was the first time he didn't call it the China virus. He, like, yeah, right. He tweeted out that he had corona. Mm. And, like, you know, there's well, a bunch... You said, you said man's in Brazil got it a bunch, and he's all right. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, let's be for real. No rich people, except for apparently Herman Cain, die of coronavirus. Well, he's a rich black man. So. Yeah, maybe that's it. Maybe that was the difference. I mean, coronavirus is racist as well as classist. Yeah, probably is. But Boris Johnson, that little dipshit prime minister from the UK, he got it. He survived. Mm -hmm. Bolsonaro from Brazil, Yad Bolsonaro. I think he's had it multiple times. Mm -hmm. I've heard estimates as high up to seven, but the realistic number puts it at four or five, which is still a lot of times to contract COVID. But it doesn't change his behavior. If debate time comes and Trump is still, you know, quarantining or isolated, I say they bring the shit to Zoom or something like that and just bring it to his place and be like, all right, cool, let's just keep it going. Here's the conspiracy. Conspiracy, right? Mm, that he that did it he, so he, could, he didn't have to debate. Bingo. Or that he's faking it. Of course. I'm, yeah. I'm 100. Like, as soon as I happen to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning and <laughs> there's no real good reason <laughs> to fucking start scrolling the internet at mm-hmm. 4 in the morning. But I did. And I saw that somebody had posted, like, oh, Trump has COVID. <laughs> and immediately I was just like... Oh, it's tight. And I was just like, oh, no, no, no. This is like, this is the timing of everything. It's just too perfect. Right. A little bit too well coordinated. Like, <laughs> I won't, I won't. <coughs> Speaking get, of which, I don't have COVID. I'm coughing because I'm smoking weed. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. FYI. Oh, I body. forgot List, that co- coughing was a thing. Yeah, it's a uh, trigger. <laughs> but uh, I won't believe Trump having COVID until I see pictures of him on a ventilator. You know? Seriously. We didn't even get the pictures of Boris, I think, when he went into the ICU. We should have. I had a theory that Boris was faking it, right? Mm. Because of the way he, like, bungled the pandemic in the very beginning. Because mm. in the UK, it was bad for a hot second until they got their shit together and took care of business in a much more equitable way than the United States did. For example, the UK government agreed to pay everyone, like, 85% of their salary for wow. the year. Like, it's just flat out. Just flat out. Front. Just stay home. Like, don't get sick. And Bor- I think Boris Johnson maybe faked it because that's a surefire way to get sympathy from people it's like oh well he he, you know he got covid and he survived so now he knows how serious it is you know that kind of shit so like maybe that's part of trump's angle if he's faking it too is there a way to like silver line him having it even if it's like fake i guess you don't know until the next step yeah that's just everything right now exactly we just don't know and there's no point in speculating until the next step. Like, yeah. just show me what happens next and I will believe. Yeah, and that's a good thing to mention because that's going to be a little on theme with the rest of the shit we're going to talk about in this episode. But we'll keep running through uh, current events uh, as, mm. you know, we go through this. Like, I think it's been, like, what, almost two weeks since we last recorded an episode. And some shit has happened, including uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg dying. Yeah. Yeah. You know yeah. anything about her? I know that. She finally finished pleading her case before God, and then Trump got COVID. So, <laughs> is that a is that a, is that a thing that you saw? Yeah. <laughs> oh man, I hate fucking liberals so goddamn much. Uh, yeah. So uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Supreme Court. Let's just get this out of the way. The Supreme Court is fucking stupid. It is a dumb idea. Mm. It, like, why? I'm gonna, I'm gonna put Nobody this should out. have a job for life. See, well, it, life appointing is dumb too. But let me just put this out. Just imagine you're on this Supreme Council of like unelected, life-appointed lawyers, and it's your job to decide how all of the laws in the country are interpreted, Hmm. and then once you decide it, no one can challenge it. That's the end. Hmm. So these people have an unreasonable amount of power, which is why everyone freaks out when one of them dies, and because the president gets to be the person who appoints them, and, you know, who gets to go on the bench depends on who the president is. So it seems like, a, again, a really stupid way to design a system because it really, you know, well, leaves... You would le- think that, like, in this system, you would, since there's, what, 13 people, you make it fucking 
<laughs> find some way to make it fair. It has to be six Democrats, six Republicans, and one moderate. Something that like has that. been like, that has been argued. Why don't we just have like a people's court where the judges like serve a specific amount of term and then have to make the case for re-election like any other fucking official in the legislative or executive branch? But no, the judges they're appointed for life. It's very strange. So like whatever these people decide on how to interpret law is how the rest of the country has to live with it. It's mm. like it's another one of these examples of just like how in the American government power usually finds a way to get consolidated into the hands of a very few mm. uh, as opposed to like diffused out and becoming like by nature more democratic mm. so like Ruth Bader Ginsburg she's like the queen of like white like liberal feminists and like that you know RBG that whole fucking like nonsense cult but, like, she was a cool, like, she was the first Jewish woman, I think, to serve on the Supreme Court. First woman to serve on the Supreme Court. That is an achievement in and of itself. But, like, to hold this notion that she was, like, some kind of champion of, like, progressive values. You would think she's on par with Mother Teresa, the way Seriously, people hold right? her in esteem, yeah. I mean, you just look at her, the records of her rulings, and it becomes very clear that she was the champion of progressive values for a certain demographic of the country uh, and less so other people this is a woman who called colin kaepernick's taking knee at the games uh stupid and something mm-hmm. that he should just like stop doing this is a woman whose last court ruling as a supreme court justice was against immigrants seeking asylum ruling in favor of the federal government to expedite the process to kick them the fuck out of the u.s she's ruled against native americans like countless times including a recent ruling this year that would allow the construction of an oil pipeline through sacred indigenous land like ruth Bader ginsburg famously friends with anton scalia and a bunch of other conservative judges this idea that she was some fucking lefty radical figure Hmm. is just fucking bullshit it's propaganda liberal propaganda dealing with that has been really annoying and now we have again because we're at the mercy of this like stupid system Mm. everybody's freaking about who trump is gonna pick and i forget the woman's name because i really haven't looked into her i know she's bad she's like some kind of conservative psychopath catholic who's probably gonna like strip away abortion rights and all that kind of stuff and like if roe v wade goes in front of her you can count on it being shot down and all that shit is very real and Mm -hmm. very scary and will affect the everyday lives and material realities of people. Hmm. So it's not something to be taken lightly. But to me, it's all more a case of abolishing the Supreme Court as opposed to just praying for the best or like some super like Mighty Ducks sports play scheme to like win the game at the, like the final period. Does like anybody jamming ever, up in the Senate. Does anybody ever push? Why are you talking sports to me? Does Sorry, anybody I was ever push fictional for, uh, sports? Like <laughs> I thought maybe you saw the Mighty Ducks movie. Like, you're not talking about the Flying V. I don't know what. That shit <laughs> well, the Flying V counts. Like so, like the Congress needs to do like the <laughs> Flying V right now to stop Trump's appointee to be judge. But I don't know if they're going to be able to do it. I don't even know if they does have anybody, the political. Does anybody even like bring up the idea of abolishing the Supreme Court? Ever or is this like just a Brian Ganella special? Oh, people bring it up all the time. Oh. I mean, like any any committed socialist is going to bring it up mm. because the Supreme Court sucks. It's a bourgeois institution for all of the reasons that I just mentioned. Yeah, get rid of it, let it go. But also, I don't know. I don't know how to tell people what to do. Call your senator. Like, really, the only thing that could happen to maybe prevent Trump from appointing this justice. And this also is conditional if Biden wins, right? If he wins the election, which is also questionable. Hmm. So the only way to keep another Trump-appointed justice from going to the Supreme Court would be for the House and the Senate to just basically, like, impeach everybody. Judges. You can't can't impeach judges. And Hmm. it's like, impeach some federal judges, impeach members of the Supreme Court. No, probably not going to happen. Impeach the president again. Also probably not going to happen. So, like, there is real no, no real way for them to stop it unless they do some Hail Mary political theater, like, filibuster whatever i don't know repeat what mitch mcconnell does i don't know if the democrats have it in them i mean it's been a whole i mean i think you can answer that question at any point do the democrats have them yeah probably no right they just i mean they've been bending over backwards to give trump his way for the last four years while simultaneously just being like you know he's the most evil man on planet earth like he's the next hitler and all that kind of shit all of these people who say that trump is the next hitler were on twitter this morning wishing him a speedy recovery for covid sending my prayers for the health and safety of the first lady and president of the united states i always pray for the president's family that they're safe my wife jill and i pray that they'll make a quick and full recovery and i know that he'll have the best of care how sincere are we supposed to take this who are these people like nancy pelosi and like chuck schumer and like you know the fucking political 
elite, like in the Democratic wing, the people who we give the moniker of like the hashtag resistance, like figures and shit like that. I mean, like, I don't want to say like not everybody, but like mm. still Nancy Pelosi goes out in one breath, says that like Trump is the most dangerous man to ever like occupy the office of presidency. Like he's a he's a threat to American democracy. Like it's encroaching fascism, whatever. Mm. And then it's like, oh, speedy recovery. Feel better soon. Damn. Hearts, heart, thoughts and prayers. And is like that is that people's idea of trying to Michelle Obama? In oh, yeah. Probably like the civility angle and yeah. shit like that. But like. At the same time... The floodgates are up. Fuck it. Trump has set a new tone saying. for stuff. So, Nancy, if you want to go off and just go like off, down, like, ding dong, the witch is dead, go for Would it. Would you ever, if Trump is legitimately in their mind, like, the next Hitler... Mm. would you if you heard that hitler caught like pneumonia and was about to die would you wish him well no right no, yeah right so it's like two inconsistent sort of like logical positions again mm. also hinting at the stuff we're gonna be talking about for the rest of this episode what else happening in our personal lives you got and, into twitter beef yeah i did so that's the thing i did i got into twitter beef uh brian's got hot takes if you want hot takes you go to the only place that they're appropriate it's twitter it's twitter yeah when you're just talking reckless that's the whole point of the app uh yeah i got my first like twitter beef but i tried to be respectful about it because it was a genuine like perspective that i was uh interested walk us through what were you feeling on this morning because when i saw you later it was like on your mind it was on my mind i was uh, i was uh i threw out some innocuous joke about like Mm, um, are we calling it a joke yeah, it was a joke. Okay, okay. I mean, like, it is was it, serious, it based those, on like, serious observations, but, like, it was 60-40 joke? Yeah, 60-40. Yeah. We'll say 60-40. So, like, basically just kind of lamenting that, like, uh, that energy at the beginning of the summer when everybody was like, fuck the system, burn it all down, mm-hmm. had slowly morphed into, look, guys, we, we just got to vote for Biden. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I get it. I get it. You're afraid. You don't want any more of this fucking like this any more of this fucking asshole in the office now. He's got to go. I understand that, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. This is again what we were saying about that contradictory sort of like cognitive dissonance of like thinking someone's the next Hitler and then wishing them a speedy recovery from a death that could kill the next Hitler. Mm-hmm. If you think the system needs to be abolished, mm-hmm. then you need to do the work to abolish the system, and that means the election is sort of irrelevant. Right. Because if Biden is seen as a continuation of that system, even if you do vote him in, you're just continuing that system. Yeah, 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 totally. I get that. I remember I want it. My initial thought is like that's next level thinking. But I guess it's not because it's what we keep talking about the whole time. But like if this wasn't an election year, do you think people would still be as amped up at this point? I don't know. I don't know if amped up is the right word even because you know they talk all the time about there being like an enthusiasm gap for biden like no no one's excited to support this motherfucker like no one is going out and stumping for him like no. they're you know they're 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 out there scolding the far left i, amped not, up. Like, I mean, I mean like the the protest energy from the beginning of the summer like if this wasn't an election year what do you think people would be doing at this point at this at this time oh honestly i think people would be a little angrier and like still out there agitating consistently because a lot of people are really pinning all their hopes on the results of this election I mean, kind of, sort of, like, as soon as, like, civil Saturdays were over, I was like, okay, I guess we just do the election thing yeah. now, right? Yeah, and I mean, a lot of, and a lot of those actions that were going on over the summer did include appeals to just, like, vote and hope for the best. Mm. And, like, sure, I get it. There is sound logic to arguing that maybe marginalized communities in the United States might be safer under a Biden administration than a Trump one. But let's not just assume that that's true, right? Let's seriously examine it. Right now, we think that Trump is a more ostensibly racist president. And sure, in the obvious, vulgar, obscene sense, just looking at him, he mm-hmm. is, right? Because he says racist things. He he cozies up to racist organizations, white supremacist organizations, like all the time in a more obvious way than any president has like in the past and that's a big distinction too Mm. because Woodrow Wilson also like invited the Klan to like watch Birth of a Nation like screened in the White House so like if we're really talking about racist presidents I mean some presidents actually owned slaves so like just because they weren't given like little winks to the Proud Boys or or the equivalent like that it doesn't mean that like Trump is like the first racist president of all time so like when we talk about that like when did Black Lives Matter start? At the death of the cigarette guy right? 
Eric Garner. Yeah. Right. I thought it would start with Mike Brown and Ferguson. Either way, it started under Obama, whose vice president was Joe Biden. One of the biggest fucking problems with the inequality in the justice system stems from the 1994 crime bill, which they nailed Hillary for in 2016 with the super predators line Mm. and all that kind of shit. And the policies in that bill led to the mass incarceration system that we have intact in the United States right now. Who was the fucking author of that goddamn bill? Yeah, I mean, I know you don't gap. know this. It's Joe know. Biden. Joe Biden was the, he he wrote co-signed that fucking bill. So when you're talking about who is going to be better for the treatment of like marginalized communities in the United States, what evidence are you basing that off of? Right? Is this like oh well, like Black Lives Matters and protests for Black Lives exist under Trump, and when they when they happen with Biden, they're going to go away. Why do you think that? It they happened under like. When Obama was president and Biden was the vice president. So, like, why do you think the conditions are going to change? They had, they didn't change. Like, we already had this guy as part of an administration. And these problems emerged under him. So, they continued under Trump, which makes fucking sense. So, why do you think going back to the, the administration where they emerged is going to resolve the problem? Clearly, like, you need something different. It doesn't make any logical sense to assume mm. that that's going to, like, resolve the issue. If they emerged under those conditions in the first place. Hmm. See what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, I guess. Fuck. Biden is not for national legalization of marijuana. He's not for the Green New Deal. He's like explicitly said a couple times that he's not going to ban fracking. Hmm. He's probably going to seek a moderate centrist to put on the Supreme Court bench if he is the one who gets to make that appointment. He's already said that he's going to extend the fucking tax cuts for the super rich that Trump signed in at the beginning of his term. Like, nothing is going to fundamentally change under Biden. So when people act like this is, like, the most important election of our lives, like, I don't know how to qualitatively prove that because nothing qualitatively will change right and maybe i'm wrong and like i know i'm a cis white man so like obviously there are things about the uh, the administration that don't affect me right Hmm. like i'm not a migrant worker or mexican like with my residency status being threatened constantly but like again those residency statuses they were not necessarily safe under obama either he deported people too like those border camps and the cages and shit like that they emerged under that administration as well Mm. so like where is the qualitative proof that this person who is an extension of the previous administration is going to be any different than trump other than the obvious and obscene expression of it like trump is mask off like Mm -hmm. and people don't i get it you don't want to look at it like you don't want to fucking be confronted with that every day but how is it a more progressive option to pick the more like slick branded fucking version of it i uh really don't know it really just reminds me of why i was never interested in politics because all you're saying to me is that there is no point unless unless people are gonna fucking rise up and and overthrow shit which it doesn't look like they're gonna do what's the point of paying attention to anything that's why i'm so fucking like ready to just go back to doing things that make me happy and literally not caring what happens around me because unless i see bombs falling from the sky if i still have a roof over my head i'm just gonna keep going because i can't know all the things that you know and then just wake up and be like all right what are the possibilities for today hmm what what's gonna be great for today because if i was thinking the way that you thought all the time buddy when people talk about suicide I'm just like <laughs> you find me a nice cliff to walk off of and let me never have to think about this stuff again yeah well so that's where that's when you know it's just easier to just be like oh, i don't know we got to vote and get this guy out and then I can stop thinking about it again. I And I understand that. And that's basically what the uh, this person on Twitter, like that was their essential position. This aspect of identity politics came into the argument where it was like, as a white person, like because I'm advocating for something that's drastically different, like I have no place to do it because um, white people could, can't av- advocate for radical change or like uh, be mm. radical in and of themselves, mm. which that's a weird sort of like... Define, because I had you do this the other night, uh, define radical. Oh, so radical would be like a person that advocates for, again, big word we're going to use a lot on this episode, qualitative change in the uh, system that governs them. So Mm -hmm. like capitalist society to a socialist society is a radical change. Mm -hmm. Uh, And to be a radical means that you look at the problems of society and then you attack those problems at the root cause of it. Right, 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 right. Which is different than like 
the uh, approach that we have now, which is like charity, which is like sort of like a mitigation effort for crisis. We take care of like the symptoms, but not the cause of the disease. Mm-hmm. So like this idea that white people can't be radical is confusing to me because anybody that wants a different system mm-hmm. is by definition being radical. But it also kind of makes sense to me because like white people's traditional role in the United States as the oppressing class the sort of like original masters of the United States when the revolution occurred were white landowning men who owned slaves. And they have just basically continued that tradition in other forms throughout like American history. This was another conversation we had yesterday, in which I'm pretty sure I bored the shit out of you going back through all that history. But Oh yeah, yeah you, you talked about the different ways. Like these people started out doing this slavery and then it's translated into this way of slavery i got like ballpark stuff yeah ballpark when i say stuff. ballpark i mean i was walking outside of the ballpark while it was happening and i heard yeah and you words. heard like a, a woo from uh-huh. the crowd and uh-huh. you're like oh there must be a game i looked going up on. my phone for a second <laughs> and say hmm yeah yeah uh i mean the one of the overall ballpark points in that speech that i hope you picked up on was the economic impetus for like keeping sure. these sort of free systems labor. around yeah. yeah free labor it's like it's simple when you say it like that yeah, that's uh, why I say it like that. <laughs> yeah, I know. But like to understand the these simple concepts and their placements in these complex histories is also kind of important. Like you gotta you gotta hear both sides, right? You gotta mm, hear both sides. So mm-hmm. like the simple is as important as the complex. So it, I don't I don't know the whole like <laughs> the same way I felt in the beginning of the summer when the mural situation was going on with downtown and people were like these white artists can't do this. Because of this reason and that reason and stuff like that. Like, once again, I'm just like, look, are you on my side? Cool. End of story. Yeah. Period. Period. I don't care what you, I don't care if yesterday you, well, maybe, maybe this is my own hot take or whatever. I don't know. If yesterday you were Nazi and then today you woke up and you were just like, yo, what? I was doing horrible shit and I don't like that and I want to change and I want to do the right thing or whatever, then if your if your words are true and your intentions are true, then I say fucking go for it and be on my side. Like I don't, and this is probably coming from a person who like has done bad things, or whatever. And it's just like, okay, I decided to change, and then people were like, yeah, but you can't just change like that. And I'm like, yeah, I can. And I did. I just decided to. So like, for for people to just say that like because of the motivations or because of the way of white people have been throughout history and stuff that they cannot be radical and, and or advocate for this stuff or whatever. I'm like, once again, based in what? Rooted in what? Yeah, it's a it's a it's a monolithic kind of viewpoint, right? It's something that like uh like anti-racist thinking is supposed to kind of resist, right? Mm-hmm. And this isn't this. I obviously want to make it clear to all listeners that I know the distinction between like individual prejudice and like systematic racism, which requires all the fucking engines of society like aiming towards a certain oppression of a certain group, which does not happen to white people in the United States, right? But to say that they can't advocate for radical change or that they can't be comrades or like allies even uh, mm-hmm. in, in, the, in the fight for this is to assume that they all have one singular character, mm-hmm. which is like, it's, that's, sure, that's something that you that shouldn't think. Anything. You can't think that about any group. Yeah. People are complex, man. They're diverse. They contain multitudes. Yeah. And like to view any group as monolithic is, is short-sighted. The thing we're going to talk about for the rest of this episode is the concept of uh, dialectics. And this is, I think you told me today that, what, you saw on Twitter, it's going to be saw, I saw a meme that was just like ticking off like uh, 2018, 2019, like the word of the year. Yeah, yeah. And then for 2020, it was just like, get ready, folks, because like dialectic is going to be the word of 2021. There, I mean, there's a reason for this shit, because dialectics is this uh, philosophical theory that all of the phenomena of the natural and social realm are interconnected, that they have this dual relationship, that people are not monolithic. Say that again. There's so many words going on. What? 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 Everything's connected, dog. Let's get the hippie shit right now, because another oh. thing about this is we're going to smoke a lot of weed and talk yeah. about this stuff right oh, now. Oh, you should have just so like, like, said it like that. I, everything's know. connected. Let's watch I Heart Huckabees instead. Okay, yeah. We're gonna, all right, so when we get back, we're gonna watch I Heart Huckabees. Yay. Yay. Just kidding. We're gonna talk about dialectics. Boo.
And we're back. And we're smoking and talking about dialectics. Yep. We didn't get to watch I Heart Applebee's. But oh, you should, because it's a good movie. I watch it in my head all the time. Mm. I know Mark Wahlberg is problematic, you know? Like, yeah, uh, he is. That stopped somebody that I was hanging out with from wanting to watch the movie, and that bummed me out. I'm just like, yeah, I know, but like the movie's still good. Uh, can we just finish it? Yeah. I'm not I mean. I'm not going to go play like an R. Kelly song, but, you know. Wait. <laughs> I'm just R. trying Kelly? to like, no, I'm just trying to like split, you know, uh, mm. separating the art from the artist and stuff mm-hmm, because mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I still mm-hmm. find value in I Heart Huckabees despite Mark Wahlberg's It is past. a good movie and more than one person contributed to the creation of that film. Which right. Is a brilliant little accidental segue that you made right there. Because mm-hmm. it's not just about the one person's experience on I Heart Huckabees being Mark Wahlberg in this case. It's about the cumulative efforts of everybody that made that movie. Right. right? So the movie is the sum total of all of that. Yes. Right? Um, so that's that's kind of, in a way, the core foundation of what dialectics seeks to explain. Hmm. Uh, is that the idea that natural and social phenomena are interconnected. That they have cause and effects that tie each other to the other one. Okay. Uh, and they sort of follow observable and understandable ebb and flow. Yeah. You jobbing with that? I mean, it's... It's way flowery and probably easier if you had it in front of you written down, but go ahead, keep going. Well, let me ask you something. How do you interpret reality? Like, what is... You even think about it? Like, do you have any big metaphysical questions that you ask yourself? Are you not far enough into that blunt to answer this question? Like, Mm, what's the world to you, man? Uh, The world to me is just sort of like how my mom, I guess, (laughs) has, has like, continued as she learns or whatever. I will just sort of, like, take in things that she... My mom is, uh, you know, woo-woo adjacent, let's oh. say, you know? So, you know, at some point she's telling me that, like, we wrote our lives before we came to the earth and now we're, like, in the body and we're living out that experience. We're just, like, she'll, she'll always refer to your chart. She's like, oh, you wrote that in your chart. Like, that happened in your chart. Like, so, so, like, when I did start smoking weed around 25, I don't know. I promise you I never even, like, asked myself deep questions. And I probably still don't. <laughs> I just don't. Like, I don't know. How do I? How do I view reality? It's just like, I, like I said, I don't know. How am I going to make myself happy and fulfilled today? And if I don't think that I can accomplish those, then like, what can I do to reduce the amount of sadness I will be feeling? That's literally it. I'm just. I mean, I think like, that's fair. Yeah. Like, that's a pretty fair way to just go about existence. I like to think that I'm finding my own reason to live. Like to me. When people question, like, oh, what's the purpose of life? I don't know. You just figure out what you're good at and then do that. Okay. So, sub-question to all that then. How do you know that you know something? How do you know that something can be known? Because I guess somebody else affirms it. I'm a- I mean, I'm asking really about your... There's not a trick question. Like, I'm asking about your direct experience, like, going through life. Like, how do you know that you know something? Mm-hmm. I guess I don't. I, I cause, cause like, deep. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I experience something and then I'm just like, that is my experience. So this is what I know. Um, but I'm such a, I don't know what, what is with my brain or whatever, because you can almost convince me that my experience was not that. I have a friend that I grew up with or whatever who would sort of like revise parts <laughs> of history. And then I'd be like, okay, I guess... I, think I guess they're I think right. It's just called gaslighting. <laughs> you know what? Yeah, you're right. But I'm easily gaslightable because I'm always willing to consider Max that I was wrong. But you said it. You experienced something. Yes. Right. Yeah. So like when you touch something hot, you know it's hot because yeah. you experienced the heat. Right. It burned you. So that's that's what in Latin they call a posteriori knowledge, hmm. which is just after the fact. Right. Yeah. Because. Post it post. Yes. Yes. There cool. you go. You Love figured that. it out. Yeah. So the idea that all genuine knowledge comes from that sort of experience, right? Uh-huh. Because it's something that can be proven through empirical evidence. Yes. Right? It happened. Yes. So it's a fact. The other type of knowledge is uh, in Latin is a priori, which is the, the before, mm-hmm. right? It's sort of this idea that stuff that you can infer through logic or like intuition, hmm. and then you don't have to directly experience it. To hold that it's true. So this is where like theoretical knowledge kind of comes in. Yeah, like your bread and butter. Yeah, right. Theoretical knowledge is important. It's a way of explaining things that's based off our own kind of like 
like the cool parts of our brain to be able to look at something and develop abstract concepts from it oh. and sort of like extrapolate into uh, other realms and, and connect it to other subjects yeah, is a, fun. A, yeah it's I mean it's fun to some people mm-hmm. uh, myself included mm-hmm. but it's also a thing that is like you know what makes people human in a way too uh, it's like our brain why you you a man yeah yeah you, look. I was told by an audiologist that that's a completely like normal way of saying it in, <laughs> oh. in some dialogue. I apologize for shaming the way that you speak. Yeah. Continue. I, I mean, love it. All right. Thanks. <laughs> so uh, now I'm going to have to think about other ways Where to say it. Where do you stay when you go to visit somewhere else in like a Yotel? <laughs> <laughs> that's not even. That's It's the U. There's a U. Oh. Uh, ba Yumbug. <laughs> continue roasted <laughs> so there's a this idea that these two types of knowledge exist it, it creates a sort of like contradiction in how to interpret the world right like yeah. what is what is genuine what do we actually know can we actually say that we know you talked about the tree falling in the woods yeah so that's an example of if you say of course the tree makes noise right that's mm-hmm. a priori knowledge hmm. because you know through your logic brain that yeah, a fucking tree makes noise. I don't have to see the tree fall down to know that it made noise. Mm-hmm. But the first time a person heard a tree falling down, they probably saw it or heard it because they were in the general vicinity mm-hmm. and they were able to conclude that it made noise based off the a posteriori experience. Mm-hmm. That's sort of like one of the big things about philosophy. And philosophy, to your annoyance, is just asking questions literally about like everything in life. Mm. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's constant investigation. And... The idea of where knowledge comes from has been something that, you know, fucking philosophers have been debating in one way or another. What do you mean? Where's for a really like, long time? What? Like, we're, was there a period where we did not have knowledge and we had it? Like, no. More along what I just described. Sometimes people don't believe that a priori knowledge counts as genuine knowledge because you're essentially just sort of speculating. Right. Oh, so like Christians who don't believe in science and stuff and theoretical science and shit. Yeah, well, Christians would be resisting a posteriori knowledge, right? Mm. Because they don't have to experience things directly to believe in it because they have faith. Like, it's a whole other thing. But then they can also, but in that same moment, they reject things that science would propose. Yeah, right. They're more reluctant to it if it creates a contradiction to what their mm. their theoretical knowledge like tells them. Mm. Christians, they believe in something separate from just their own logic and intuition. And I don't particularly mean Christian. I just mean like very religious people. Yeah, I think that's a fair example of the distinction, right? Mm. So there's got to be sort of reconciliation between those two sorts of things because everything that we know can't just be stuff that we've directly experienced because we obviously know things that we didn't experience like you've never been to los angeles right i have oh you have yeah pick sorry pick a place where you haven't been boston because i'll never fucking go but you know boston exists yeah but you've never been there Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right right right. right? Yeah, yeah so does that mean that because you've never experienced that Boston doesn't exist? No, of course not. Of course not. Because you have a priori knowledge of it. See, see, see. But here's, here's where you get to this sort of like chicken and the egg kind of thing. You know that Boston exists because other people went to Boston and experienced it directly. Mm-hmm. If no one ever experienced Boston, it could not be definitively said whether it, this is where we get to with heaven. No one has actually come back. And given empirical evidence that heaven exists. It's right. all a priori knowledge, right? Right. The second that changes, the reality of heaven becomes a lot more concrete. So a posteriori knowledge is important. And this is where we get to the difference between what they call positivist and anti-positivist thinking. Positivist thinking is this idea that all foundational understanding of reality can only be determined by what you can directly experience. Okay. And then anti-positivist obviously is, rejects that. Those are two sort of like contradictory ways of interpreting the world. What okay. sounds more right to you? The one that you experience so you know it's real. Right. But you couldn't account for my experience, right? No. Because you, you, would, you wouldn't have to know it. Right. But you would be able to use a priori knowledge, which is like your logic and your intuition, to sort of empathize with me and maybe identify with yeah. some elements of my lived experience. Sure, sure, Right. Sure. And then through that kind of like dialogue, you create a larger knowledge of a posteriori, posteriori knowledge, right? Okay. Because now that you've talked to me and we've swapped stories and we know each other's lived experience, right? Mm-hmm. That in itself is a direct experience for you and I to refer to. Yeah. So now we have an, a genuine knowledge. Okay. 
So if you were going to interpret the world as a whole, could you only use your lived experience and expect to paint an accurate picture? No, I can't even name like a bunch of countries. Right. <laughs> you like leaving out. So does that, but does that mean that everything outside of your lived experience is not real? No, that's dumb. Right. Look, man. I'm gonna level with you. Hmm. There's a lot of dumb shit in philosophy too, hmm. right? This I'm is glad a, I didn't take it in school. No, nah, you should regret that. Philosophy is cool, yeah. but it is constantly like this ongoing argument, right? About how do we understand living? And hmm. like, that even comes from like you know what's what is real knowledge and what's not, right? Hmm. So this debate between positivists and anti-positivists has been going on for almost like a hundred years now, in sort of like the modern sense, and what. Going back to our homeboy, Karl Marx mm. tried to do with his theory of dialectical materialism was sort of reconcile those two thoughts. The idea that society can be studied mm -hmm. scientifically, mm -hmm. that there is enough empirical evidence to observe the trajectory of history and like society as a whole has like certain observable rules. Hmm. Right. Oh, this is when you're like hanging out and you're just like talking about stuff. And I'm just like, well, how do you know? And you're like, well, history says. And I'm just like, oh, okay, right. That's right. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's sort of like if it stands to reason, right? Just think about it from like an individual sort of perspective. Like mm -hmm. if you know somebody's history, you know what they tend to do, how they tend to react to things, what they don't like, what they do like. Yeah, that's called like character profiles and make them on people all the time. Right. Yeah. But why couldn't you extend that to understanding? history right because that's someone else's department fair enough there's definitely a lack of interest <laughs> for, for sure do you have any weed left should we should you just like kick back and and just let me go full like bill and ted speculation with you yeah i mean go we're, we're here we're doing the thing i'm properly high properly uh, now high. that i've been made to say it yeah. yeah could be could be considered too high for this conversation so there's a a tendency i think right now in like uh, the American left to focus on your own lived experience. We disagree with that as you, as you as an individual. I want to say yes, but doesn't the left always get criticized for like speaking out on behalf of other people? Like, you know, I don't mind if people are like sensitive about something that happened to them, but it's people like that get mad on other people's behalf that I hate. Like that's what people complain about the, the left. Is it doing. really? Yeah. I, don't I, I just heard it on a podcast today. Damn. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I guess, yeah, like, certainly if you're coming from the right and you really are, like, locked down in, like, individualism, then yeah, I mean, mm -hmm. the idea of, like, extending yourself for another human being probably does seem, like, pretty ridiculous, right? Yeah, totally. I mean, that's where, like, put yourself in somebody else's shoes come from that is like, nah, I'm not trying to do that. Right. So, then I would say that the expression of the left in America... Mm -hmm. is actually very focused on the experience of the individual as opposed to mm -hmm. understanding the system as a whole. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, okay. I guess, I feel like this is the roundabout way of you, maybe I'm sprinting to the finish line, is that uh, during the protests, a lot of what was talked about was just individualized experience as opposed to, once again, getting to the root of the problem and, and talking about that and how to get rid of that. Yeah. So that's where dialectics comes in, right? Because dialectics is, again, this idea that everything that happens on Earth is more or less interconnected. That there are contributing factors that lead to things happening. And it's not just as simple as ideas bouncing off each other as, like, one dominant thought about dialectics used to occur. So, like, there's idealism, Right. Which is where, like, this idea that society and history sort of, like, moves through the ideas of people. Like, great men emerge every so often, like, throughout time. And they have a, a sort of, I don't know. That's that's what Max accuses you of being. Uh, he calls you an idealist, and that's why he compared you to Obito and Naruto. Is that why? Did yeah. he explain to me back uh -huh. in the scenes? Uh-huh. I, I guess that's... <laughs> yeah, I mean, there is definitely an idealist uh, aspect to it, right? But Marx's contribution wasn't just pure idealism. Hegel is the name of the first guy. I know this, none of this fucking means anything to you. Like but to the listeners, game. yeah, he sounds like a bad... Yeah, he's kind of a dumb German, like in a long history of dumb Germans. Mm. Hegel's whole idea was just that it's about ideals, right? That society changes because some guy presents a better idea than what was previously going on and everybody's just like yeah I'm gonna fucking rock with it mm. and like go with that which is like 
That's a a priori schema, which means that's a hypothesis that presumes that everybody could understand the idea as it's presented, in which our conversations has more than proven by now that right, so. I can just say I, the idea to you and it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So like, why would it stand to reason that an entire country would just get behind an idea? Because like some yeah, kind of charismatic how, guy. How do we get people into <coughs> socialism and communism? Well, how do you just get people right. to... I'm getting there. Mm, mm-hmm. See how smart I am? I just jumped Yeah, ahead. see? You did it. I mean, that's good. That's being a good <laughs> podcast host, right? That's <laughs> making, making me earn my fucking credentials. Um, that's where Marx comes in when he says, like, no, it's not just about ideas. It's about material things. Like, things that you can directly experience. Mm-hmm. So, like, if... The material conditions, and I've been saying that in a lot of these episodes, so like that phrase should ding in your head by now. This is like Pavlov. You, you ever know about Pavlov with the dogs? Yes. Yeah. I'm conditioning you to mm-hmm. know, respond to socialist You hear words. that? White men love conditioning people. <laughs> we do. It's in, it's in our fucking nature. <laughs> I don't know. Apparently, like, we can't change. Like, it's yeah. just something that we do. Uh-huh. Uh, fuck up. Maybe we should just stop the podcast right here then. <laughs> but uh, I think this stands to reason, right? Like, I think this makes sense. People are motivated by material conditions. So, for example, if, like, the system as it exists isn't working and people are starving right that would explain why they're inclined to get behind a new ideal mm-hmm. correct but okay so but but the people have been saying that the system has been broken for years and nobody has been listening right because in the united states people's material conditions and again we've been saying this like across all a bunch of our episodes have relatively been pretty good For the most part, you're not starving. Some people are food insecure and some people are getting there in much more higher rate. But for the most part, you can acquire food. Maybe it's not the healthiest option either. Like if you have to just like live off chips and shit, but you can get enough calories for the day to survive and kind of bear sense. Food insecure. Who came up with that, Tyler? That's so rude. You don't um, like it. You guys insecure about food, like as in you don't have much. Yes, like, that's, that's gross. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't make up terms, man. Okay. It's just that's just how it goes. Yeah, but like your your everyday reality affects how you feel about the system that you live in, correct? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. So, and like the worse that it gets, the more likely you are to fucking change or want change. Correct. Right. One of the things that I remember from one of those actions was that people used to get really mad if people weren't cheering enough. (laughs) And like, (laughs) I get it. You want enthusiasm. (laughs) You want, I mean, I know you feel some kind of way about this because you didn't like yelling. Man, period. like, yeah, yeah, I do not like getting yelled at. Yeah, uh, no, no, or cheering. You don't like cheering. Like, they're really requiring you to do like well, two things. Like, well, no, no, no. I mean, I, I, uh, you like cheering. Trust me, like through throughout the marches, like it's interesting because you can't see people's mouth move, but you can see masks moving if you yeah, move yeah. or whatever. So I always assumed because this is the way that I live my life, very Truman Show esque. Mm-hmm. I always assume that somebody's watching me. Uh, so I assume that somebody would be watching for my mouth moving or whatever. So I was chanting the whole fucking time. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, walking in the hot sun and then uh, all this kind of stuff, whatever, and, and uh, having a mask on and then constant cheering and stuff like that. Like, yeah, yeah, there are times when my energy fucking dips a little bit. There are times when I'm always saying it so I can hear it. You know, I always want to be able to hear my own voice mm-hmm. amongst the crowd. So like, I know what, that I'm showing up and I'm doing the fucking work. And then to, like, be berated for supposedly, like, not doing enough is, like, even as a black man, like, you know, a lot of the times, you know, the, the people ended up yelling or whatever and just being like, you, you know, you white people aren't doing enough. And I'm here just being like, so wait, are you singling out, like, my black voice that you can hear and know that I'm doing more than everybody? Like, what are you talking about? Like, what? People are, they're here. That's huge. The fact that they're here. And then, gosh, I always try to put myself in the shoes of the people who are experiencing this stuff, wherever, because I'm seeing them, there's them like, you know, exasperated, absolutely sort of, I don't know that I could muster the amount of energy that it takes to like lead a crowd of people down the street and stuff like that or whatever, and, and plead, you know, for your safety and for your well-being and stuff like that or whatever. All that being said, like, you always get more flies with honey. Yeah. Yelling at people is yeah. is never like I always imagine they say like bring a friend, bring a family member, bring somebody who's never come before. I imagine if that person came and like half an hour into it, all of a sudden they're being yelled at for like not doing enough or whatever, like I'd just be like, 
this is what you do every weekend? Like you come out here and you just get like yelled at. If for you're not on the doing fence, enough? like you don't understand. I mean, like yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be alienating uh, in a sense. But like uh, going back to thinking dialectically about the interconnectivity of all things, mm-hmm. what what does the loudness of a, a particular street action, like right. like the enthusiasm of a crowd there, really contribute to actually like dismantling an oppressive system? Right. Like it, they're not correlated at all. Right. But it's coming from just direct experience because they're there. Right. Right. Because the enthusiasm isn't matching in the moment. It feels like it's not accomplishing anything. Right. But it doesn't account like an accurate understanding of power. And it does. And that's what's that's what's missing a lot, in my opinion, Mm. in the American left is that 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 lack of class consciousness, that lack of understanding of how power specifically operates in the United States. And yes, it is fucking heteronormative, Mm -hmm. like patriarchal, white supremacist fucking vibes like all day long in the United States. I don't want to get that twisted and think that like, oh, I'm being a class reductionist. Like, oh, I'm just talking about, oh, it's just like, it's just rich versus poor. Because no, the historical characteristics of capitalism in America have been white men oppressing other fucking people, right? right? But you cannot simply explain that away by just a default characteristic of white people because oh. poor white people exist. Right. People that are, you know, the same color of the quote unquote masters of the country also experience oppression mm-hmm. differently, mm-hmm. obviously differently mm-hmm. than how black people, indigenous people, Hispanic people, and like other marginalized communities in the United States experience it, but they right. experience it. So dialectically speaking, that's a contradiction. Right. And part of dialectics is to resolve that contradiction. So if white people are not capable of radical change because they're the upper class masters of the whole country, then why are there white people that are poor and oppressed? Right. Why does that exist? So obviously there's something else at play here. So then you have to start asking yourself, what is actually the function of white supremacy if poor white people exist. And it becomes obvious when you look at it, those poor white people are duped into defending Mm -hmm. the people that exploit them because of some fucking racial identifier. It doesn't change their material reality, man. Like people living in the fucking country, like broke as shit, vote for Trump against their best interest. Yeah. Right. right. Because they're not factoring in all the dialectics, right? They're not factoring in the interconnectivity of the issue. That's why dialectics is going to be the big word for 2021, right? Because as COVID gets worse and worse, the more these fucking systems are like intertwined, Mm -hmm. becomes open for display. So like heroically again this is where Marx steps in because historical materialism is the dialectical framework that allows you to sort of like understand why these things happen because you look at all right slavery was enacted so a certain sector of the capitalist class namely cotton sugar coffee plantation owners right in Mm -hmm. in the colonial world could maintain free labor and enrich themselves right There's the material motive for it. And that's just what Mark says you have to factor into it. Because on its own, like you could say that it was just like the idea of some evil monk back in the 15th century, which it more or less was. Mm -hmm. But the only reason an organized system was able to develop around that shitty idea was because there was a real material connection that people could experience tied to it, which was money, money and material. They got the goods. They got sugar shipped over to Europe. It was fucking exciting shit. Like everybody likes sugar. Everybody likes cotton. Everybody likes fucking coffee and tobacco, you know? And and because there was that material need and also like the idea of collecting and extracting wealth off that, horrible systems were enacted to support it. And they were based off the idea of free labor, which was excused by... Uh, can you see how this whole speech can uh, lose a crowd? Yeah, I can. Yeah. I'm gonna feel, I feel losing you right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's always a sweet, like a, a more extreme way to say I don't know. these things. Yeah, I don't. But here's the thing. Like, we have to get used to thinking about mm-hmm. it like this. We do. I know, I know you're skeptical. I know that you that. want to evolve the human brain like so much right now, but I still think that we... <laughs> Like, all we keep talking about is how social media is making us dumber. Everything's making us fucking dumber. So if we're going to be dummies and we're happy being dummies, talk to us like we're dummies. Give us the information like we're dummies. And those of us who start to break out of that will do so. And the yeah. dummies will still have a dummy understanding of what you want. Right. So we talked about this yesterday, too. And I'm glad we're probably going to end the episode talking about this. You understand some of the dummy versions of these, like, big concepts. If I tell you, Jerome, rich people get away with more shit. 
True or false? True. Absolutely. You don't even have to fucking think about it. Yeah. Because it matches your... A priori, whatever. Other one. Post. Yeah. Right. It matches your lived experience, right? Mm-hmm. So like... But say that in a simpler way. You did already say it. You said rich people already do this, whatever. You know that, right? Boom. That's it. Yeah. Like... Right. Right, 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 right. There's space in revolutionary movements for dummies. You know what I yeah. mean? But... Even for the dummies who don't want to, like, understand all the theory. Again, this goes back to the contradiction that Marx solved the resolve with the addition of historical materialism. Hmm. Material conditions matter. You don't have to fully understand an idea to get behind it if it speaks to something true about your lived experience. Right. Right? So, like, a lot of people in America don't get behind socialism because, for the most part, the capitalist system here has, like, taken care of them. Uh Right? And now that that kind of like stability is crumbling, the problems of the system are becoming more bare. Mm-hmm. Like, so the theoretical understanding of it that people like me have been shouting at you for so long start to make more sense. That's yeah. the reason we're making this fucking podcast, right? Yeah. Is because of what you're experiencing, like directly in your life, matches the theory that I've been like yelling at you in a basement. A right. little bit. Even just like a little bit. Totally. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So like... That's why, like, this is the responsibility of the communists. Like, this is where I guess I'm talking to the, to the people who listen to us who maybe already are on, off the fence in this. It is our responsibility to connect the dots for people, to help people connect the dots. And it mm-hmm. goes back to exactly what Jerome was saying about making it fucking translatable and understandable for my, the everyday person. My plea from, from this episode is that we start a collective of people. I really think... I always go back to this, at least in our conversations, that the most effective educational tools for me, Schoolhouse Rocks and Magic School Bus. Yeah. I remember the lessons from those things so fucking well. Right. Uh, And if somebody out there who's listening is an animator and then somebody out there is like a lyricist, get together and you take the lessons that we're talking about in this and turn it into a that and then that's how you get the people in propaganda films. Let's yeah. get fucking back to it. Like, yeah. you know, everybody's trying to be so fucking like stylized forever. No, Just keep it you, simple, stupid. You, yeah, you do You do have to make it cool, right? And it's the job for us, for like the intellectual end of that, to like know the history is important, right? Mm-hmm. Because when somebody says, oh, fucking communists have never like won anything, then if you know history, you can be like, what the fuck are you fucking talking about? The okay. USSR beat the fucking Nazis. But it's more interesting if if you have a little chubby character who's like rah rah like oh communists has never done anything and then a little hammer and sickle come walking over into him and it's just like hey man actually we've yeah. done this instead of intellectual like fucking marxist being like ah, rah, 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 rah. that's not the energy it's not the vibe well right? let me let me let me give you the spiel and then just imagine a fucking hamster saying it to you if it oh, helps right taro so yeah i mean there there actually is like a, a fucking um communist anime I think that mm. exists. I'll look it up and send it to you. And, mm. and maybe that'll be the thing that finally everything. But like, again, knowing history is important. Like knowing this theory is important. And it's like, and it's also important because the people who can gravitate towards those sort of things yeah. have a responsibility to translate it for the rest of us. This is, this is where, it, you know, the theoretical knowledge starts matching the material conditions, which makes things like perfect for revolution. So like when somebody says that communists never win anything, it mm-hmm. takes the historical nerd to be like, you know, the USSR be nazis right they stopped they stopped the essential like fascist takeover of the entire planet which led to the extermination of like fucking millions more people than it already did the communists were either directly responsible or in support or working with the decolonial movements of like two-thirds of the entire fucking globe right you're talking about liberating people of color from america behind the scenes was trying to thwart them at every opportunity yes exactly like i only know that because we've been talking right so you're looking at asia latin america africa like either explicitly marxist leninist governments or governments that had marxist leninist political parties participating in it or revolutionary movements that were like guided by that ideology even within the united states fighting for the liberation of people of color from the jump it's part of the theory right Mm -hmm. and like 
it made sense to them because it matched their material conditions. Like it had to because they wouldn't have adopted it if it didn't. Right. Right. And that's where that dialectical synthesis, right? This, this sort of like idea of the unity of opposites comes into play. If the material conditions and the ideas are no longer contradictory, Mm -hmm. then that's it. That's the fusion dance. That's the fucking like, we got go tanks now, you know, and it, it creates the conditions that are right for revolution. So right now in the United States, we have the fucking lived experience knowledge, right? People know that it's not good. And there's different variations of that depending on who you are and what intersection of identities you cross down, right? But no matter what, you know that there's contradictions in this society. You know that the material conditions are getting worse and worse. So it's going to take that final connection to the... just even an elementary grip of the theory to like move this movement forward. Otherwise, it's just going to stagnate. And that's unfortunate because at the same time, we have the pandemic giving people who have never been oppressed before the idea that they've been oppressed. So they're, uh, they're, yeah. they're finding this energy that, that they haven't had a reason to put out before. And it's bringing out, it's bringing out everything because they don't know what the fuck they're talking about. They're acting yeah. like they're oppressed. Yeah, and so yeah, they're yeah, just yeah. like, well, now it can be racist too. Cause like, this is all part of it. That, it's, like that, it I know? mean, like it is going to get fucking messy. If everything is interconnected, dialectics comes at you from literally all angles and racist whites are going to have to do their own fucking dialectic and examine their own fucking internal contradictions and then be like, oh shit. Like you said, this hypothetical situation of like someone with a Nazi was like, I'm done. This is fucked up. Yeah. Like that would take them examining the world as it is and not relying on prejudices to inform their own reality. Yeah. Right? Because like if you look at it, how the system actually operates, then you see what's behind it. You see that, that it's the accumulation of wealth that is like driving all of these things. There's no monolithic quality for any group of people. You can't just say X group is like this and that's why this is like this. That doesn't make any sense. That's raw ideal without any material evidence to support it. Mm. You understand? Yeah. So like, that's the thing. Everybody needs to be looking at the world, engaging with it critically and like thinking about how this shit works so they can have an accurate understanding of power. Because only, only when you have an accurate understanding of power, that's the only way you can change things. Gosh, but people's reality skews what they want to see and, yeah. and how they interpret. You say power. Power can be interpreted so many fucking ways. Power can be interpreted in, so, so many like, fucking ways. Yeah. But when you examine it, like, what is power? Like, I don't know if we have time left Flying, in the uh, oh, invisibility, Jesus. teleportation. That's power to me. That's real power. But you were describing superpowers. Oh, superpower. Yeah, but literally that's what I can't get out of my head. Yes, I know power. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, who re- owns stuff, who makes decisions, who fucking controls, who does what. I mean, even in the superhero world, sometimes power really just also just comes down to what comes down in the real world is money. Like, what was Iron Man or Batman, right? Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. so even in fiction, they can't deny that, like, essential truth. Like, when you really examine shit, what gets it done? What gets shit done? Money. Right. You understand that? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. People understand that. Mm-hmm. Marxist theory provides the connective tissue for those, like, those basic understandings. It's like, I don't know. It's like the galaxy brain meme. I don't know where the fuck we're going with this episode. Like, we just smoked a lot of weed and talked about knowledge. This was basically, you guys were sitting in the basement, like, while we were painting. Like, that's what you got with this one. Right. Yes. But I, I hope, I hope if anything, <laughs> just like, fucking engage with the world critically, dude. Literally, like, there are explanations that you can find by studying history, by studying the world around you, by mm-hmm. looking at things, by talking to your fucking, like, friends and, like, sharing lived experiences. This is why people watch like documentaries. That. Yeah, man. This is. Oof. I know. Oof. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do that. Okay, and then recognize that there are p- people out there like me who don't want to fucking do the work. I mean, here's the thing. I totally consider this podcast me doing the work so that I don't have to like actually do anything. Yeah. I bought books this summer and the only book that I've read is Lovecraft Country. Yeah, I gave one to you because I'm just like, yo, I'm not fucking reading this. This is, no, Mm-mm-mm. absolutely not. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, those of you who can do this, have your own podcast with the people who like are worth saving. And I guess, whatever, have people been doing that like this whole summer? I've been Maybe. out there, yeah. you know, just being like, you go talk to your... Talk to your grandmas and all that kind of stuff, whatever. But like, are people actually doing? 
I don't know, Jerome. I'm I'm gonna say this to end the episode, and maybe this will be the nice little bow on all of it. But this fucking podcast is a dialectic. Mm. We are trying to resolve the contradiction of like it is necessary to know theory to change the world. Mm-hmm. I don't want to fucking know that shit. Yeah, <laughs> make it simple. So like, yeah. I guess that's what we'll just keep striving to do with each episode. Uh, this was a teachy one for you, I guess. This is like. Um, in uh, Zelda, like you need you need this item to like progress through the next next couple. Of rounds oh in the game. shit! So I, we just uh, this isn't even like a Triforce of Wisdom. This is just like a heart container. Yep. Damn. Yeah. Fucking a. Okay. Yeah. So keep playing, listeners. <laughs> we'll have more for you coming forward, and um, it'll be fun. They'll be funner than this. <laughs> game over, man. Game over. Game over. <laughs>